This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down... The likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now, for your host, Dan Mater. And hello, MD Nation, and welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are back here today with another episode. We're going to recap the NFL Draft rounds 2 through 7 as we recap the first round last week. But we're going to be going over the top 24 fantasy impact players that I have for you obviously we're not going to talk about every single pick that happened between round two and round seven we'd be here for the next five hours if we did that so that's not what we're going to do but we are going to talk about 24 guys that I have selected that were drafted in between those rounds that I think are fantasy worthy to be talking about fantasy relevant to be talking about in one capacity or another whether it be redraft or dynasty football leagues but before we go ahead and get into the episode we want to talk to you about how you can contact the show. Remember, you can call the MD Nation hotline 609-362-2480 at any given time. You can leave your comment, your fantasy question, your fantasy rant, whatever the case may be. And we're going to put you on the show at the end during the mailbag segment that we will have set aside at the end of each show for all of you who try to call and contact the show. The other ways you can get on the show is if you ask questions or have a fantasy comment about the show or anything else, or just want to follow us on social media at Twitter, at MDSFFshow, on Facebook, MDFFshow, or you can email the show directly, MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com. Now, of course, before we get into the minutia, the main reason we are here today, we always go over the offseason notes that have happened throughout the week. And there's constantly stuff being updated, there's constantly moves being made, and there will continue to do so until, frankly, until we hit training camp. And the first move, the big move that happened uh, most recently was the Andy Reid getting released by the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, 
I think it was about time that this happened. I think they kind of realized at this point they were not going to get any trade value for him. So until that happens, there's really no point. He's hanging around. You know Joe Burrow is going to start. It only spells disaster. If you want to have any respect for Andy Dalton after showing him none when you benched him on his birthday last year for absolutely no reason and playing Ryan Finley, we all know that was a complete disaster and accomplished absolutely nothing. Other than if you want to make the argument that playing him maybe ensured they got Joe Burrow now. But other than that, it was terrible. Uh, at least let him go. At least give him the freedom. Because the big thing that was a holdup, I think, was not only do you had guys like James Winston who had to take a $1 million contract, basically, to go sign with the Saints as a backup. You still have Cam Newton out there in the free agent market. Nobody's going to trade for Andy Dalton at his current salary. So you take a little bit of a hit, but you show the player some respect. You boost your reputation in that sense. And then as a result, now Andy Dalton can go ahead and sign with whoever he wants to. And with this, you know, we have no, maybe by the time you actually listen to this podcast, I don't know, there will be a move that will be made. Uh, but as it stands right now, Andy Dalton's a free agent. The only team that I think makes really any sense is the New England Patriots. And Andy Dalton is the first quarterback who's been available this offseason that I thought fit what the Patriots really want to do. Cam Newton doesn't fit what they want to do. They don't They don't look for a running quarterback. They want a guy who can dink and dunk. He makes too many mistakes. James Winston certainly makes too many mistakes, which is why I never thought that was truly ever going to be an option either. So the only option in my mind this entire time was going to be Andy Dalton, but I knew pulling off a trade for him was going to be very, very difficult to pull off. Now they don't have to do that. Now you can turn around, you can sign Andy Dalton to a nice little contract. You can get him in camp. And I think that's what they have to do. Even if Jared Stidham is the guy, even if Bill Belichick and the Patriots really want to see what they have in their third round rookie from last year, you still have to bring in Andy Dalton because we all know at this point, Brian Hoyer is nothing more than a clipboard holder. That's it. That's all he is at this point in his career. So You have to bring somebody else into that quarterback locker room, somebody else who has been there. And if you're still a team that is trying to play for the Super Bowl, which I know that at least in the Patriots organization's mind and Bill Belichick's mind that they are, Andy Dalton will actually give you the best chance for that. I know it's crazy to say for people to hear, but Andy Dalton fits what Joshua Daniels wants to do. He's not going to cost them a ton of money, and he can be your stopgap. Maybe Jared Stenham's not ready. Remember, this guy was a third-round rookie. So he might have a little longer way to go. At the very least, you want to have other options, especially if you're supposed to be a playoff competing team, a possible Super Bowl contending team, right? You're going to have to have other options. So if you don't, now all of a sudden you're left in a situation that you have no other other way out. So it would make all the sense in the world for for Andy Dalton to go to the Patriots, or at least for the Patriots to sign Andy Dalton to me. And the Patriots are also the only place that I think he could have fantasy value, because I think it's the only place that I could see him starting now. Anywhere else he goes, he's going to be a, at best, veteran backup tutor. That, I mean, that that's the best scenario I think he could hope for at this point. So I think he has to go there. We will see what happens, though. Until he actually signs with New England Patriots, I cannot say that he has any real true value until that actually happens. So that's one of the things we kind of have to keep our eyes on as we move forward there. Just a couple other quick things that we didn't really get a chance to talk about too much. Uh, last week when we talked about the NFL draft in the first round, Trent Williams winds up getting traded to the San Francisco 49ers. Very good move by them, especially with Joe Staley. Probably told them earlier that he wanted to retire. Maybe he was holding out until they were able to find his replacement. They are able to do that. It makes sure that the offensive line will stay one of the best offensive lines. It's still a headache when it comes to figuring out what that running back situation is going to be, though. And that, that's really the big key. That's really what we care about when it comes to this offensive line. 
is that you, okay? Now we have a, you're gonna have a great offensive line. You have a great running type of scheme. Who are you gonna Who are you gonna harp on? And I thought it was really weird that this week there seemed to be this narrative out there that because they traded away Matt Breida, that suddenly this running back field uh, cleared up as far as his roles, as far as what to expect. And I, I that couldn't be further from the truth, in my opinion. You're still talking about at worst a three-headed monster, possibly a four-headed monster, because we saw Kyle Shanahan did like to get Jeffrey Wilson Jr. involved a little bit here and there when he had the opportunity to do so, and they brought him back. So uh, this idea that this this backfield cleared up in any kind of way I think is ridiculous. Raheem Moster, is he most likely the starter? Yeah, maybe for week one. But Kyle Shanahan has shown before that he has no problem going with the hot hand during the game. And it might not even be the top two guys. Yes, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman probably will split the work on a series-by-series basis on first and second downs and maybe maybe a little third down passing work because they are explosive if they get the, the ball out in the open field. But the plan is for now, at least until he gets hurt anyway, that Jerick McKinnon's going to be the third down running back. Now, what he has left after two years of big-time ACL injuries, if he can even get to week one, because he hasn't even been able to get to week one the past two years without getting hurt, that, that's, that all remains to be seen. But all we can go off right now is what the roster is telling us. What the roster is telling us and what the 49ers are telling us is that they plan on Jared McKinnon being the third down back and having that role. So this backfield is by far from being clear. If I had to pick one, Gun to my head, yeah, it would be Raheem Moster if I had to pick one. But you're still talking about a guy that you really can't count on getting more than 12 touches a game. Maybe he'll get a little bit more here and there. But that's what you have to look at. And that's why, to me, he's nothing more than an appealing flex play. Because you're not going to get a lot of touches out of this guy on a consistent basis. Unless there's injuries. But that's all you have to look forward to. So, yes, the offensive line will be very good for the San Francisco 49ers. And, of course, we touched a little bit on Jameis Winston signing with the Saints. Obviously, he has no fantasy value unless Drew Brees gets hurt or until next season when Drew Brees expectedly will retire. And then we will see what really happens because I would not be surprised at all. Even though they pay Taysom Hill, I would not be surprised at all if they decide Jameis Winston is really the quarterback of the future after Drew Brees, not Taysom Hill. And they just keep Taysom Hill as an athlete that they can utilize all over the field, not as their next quarterback. Remember, Taysom Hill's pretty old. He's older than Jameis Winston. He, he's going to be presumably, he's going to be 30 years old if Drew Brees retires next year when he takes over as a rookie. And, you know, this guy has been an athlete for so long. We don't know how good of a quarterback he is. It'd be like bringing in a rookie at this point. We know what James Winston can do. And a year sitting behind Drew Brees, playing with Sean Payton like he really wants to do, he seems very, very motivated to improve, very, very motivated to get his stock back up and do what he's got to do to prove that he wants to be the best quarterback that he could possibly be and get over the turnover hump. Well, guess what? If he's able to do that while in New Orleans and they're able to see that and Drew Brees is gone... I think there's a big argument to be made here that Jameis Winston, if you want to look at this from a dynasty perspective, I would say today has more of a chance to be the future quarterback of the Saints than Taysom Hill does, just based off of ability. But that's going to wrap it up for our offseason notes segment. Before we move on to actually recapping rounds two through seven with my top 24 fantasy impact players in today's episode, I do want to talk to you guys about Belly Up fantasy sports that we have going on where you can find all of the MD's fantasy football shows content, all of our video episodes, our podcast episodes, all of my rankings and uh, scoring leader breakdowns are going to be on. Well, the scoring leaders are up there now. 
rankings, projections. That's where you're going to be able to find it on that website, www.bellyupfantasysports.com. It truly is your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports and sports money-making endeavors. You can find articles on there for all the fantasy sports, so that way we can make sure that you can become a champion today. Moving on, we first up, we got the first pick in the second round, the Cincinnati Bengals, keeping it strong, keeping that draft strong, and going with T. Higgins as their wide receiver in the second round. That was This was a great move. First of all, I had T. Higgins squarely in the first round because that was the type of guy that I thought he was. That That's number one. So the fact that he was there for them sitting in the second round is a steal already with the talent that he brings to the table, with the, with the capacity that he has to be a true number one wide receiver in the NFL. Remember, my, my comparison to him was Brandon Marshall. So I truly think this is a guy who can be a wide receiver one on a team. And it was a great move to make because you know at best you have one more year out of A.J. Green. At, at best. That's assuming he doesn't even get hurt. But at best, that's what you have out of him after the franchise tag. Whether whether he goes to play football beyond this year or not, I guarantee you he's not going to be with the Cincinnati Bengals. So now you get the heir apparent. So now you'll be fine there. So you'll be able to keep, you'll be able to keep your continuation that you've had with a, a true number one big-time wide receiver. Keep him in that role. And you'll still have you'll have to decide what you're going to do with John Ross. You're gonna have to decide if you're gonna pay Tyler Boyd, which I presume they will pay Tyler Boyd. They might move on from John Ross. We'll see there. But you have your number one moving forward with your number one quarterback. So I thought this was a great move from an NFL standpoint. From a fantasy standpoint, yeah, I love it. Look, when AJ Green does step aside, and I've talked about this I feel like a million times already, and I'll talk about it a million more until we lead up to people's drafts come in August, that look. This these players fit what Zach Taylor truly wants to do at heart. Wasn't able to do it last season, but wants to do at heart perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And T Higgins is no different. To be a bigger type of Robert Woods, absolutely T Higgins could play that role. The role that AJ Green's going to play, absolutely. And on top of that, unlike Robert Woods, he can be a true red zone threat to add to that role. So this is a great move. I love T. Higgins for dynasty purposes. I don't know how much he's going to get to play in his rookie season. I mean, if A.J. Green gets hurt, then we might be talking about T. Higgins as far as a streaming option, but I think that's all he would be in redraft leagues. He's not somebody going to look to draft there. But in dynasty leagues, he's he's right now you have to pencil him in as the future number one wide receiver for Joe Burrow, which makes him very valuable for this offense moving forward. So dynasty leagues, he's definitely up there on my board for the future. I don't know how much value he's going to have for you this season. The next pick in the second round, the Indianapolis Colts. Well, it wasn't the very, yeah, it actually wasn't the very next pick. It was pick number 34. They come on the board and they take Michael Pittman Jr. Now, this is one of the guys that I went back and forth on. A lot of people went back and forth on because there's times on tape where he flashes his big playability, right? And what he's able to do with that big playability is he's he's able to be a red zone threat, be a guy who can really be a chain mover, catch the back, back shoulder fade, be a guy who can go up and get the 50-50 ball. He can just be a big target. Now, first of all, that's what Phillip Rivers loves. And I think there's a real opportunity here that Michael Pittman might get an opportunity to play quite a bit this season. There's a real chance that that happens. Because when you're looking, when you're breaking down the Colts right now, you got T.Y. Hilton, of course. But then after that, do you really know? Zach Pascal is not a guy that they really actually want to have starting. Chester Rogers isn't the guy they want to actually have starting. P- 
Paris Campbell was the guy you drafted last year. He got hurt early on. You didn't really get to see what he could do. But even in his capacity, he was never supposed to be the other perimeter starting wide receiver opposite of T.Y. Hilton. He was supposed to be the guy who stretches the seam from the slot. That's what his role was supposed to be. So now you bring in Michael Pittman Jr., you let go of Devin Funches. There's a real chance here that Michael Pittman Jr. gets a start in his rookie season. Now, because he's not the speed guy, and he ran a 4-5-2 in the 40 combine, which I thought was pretty impressive considering what I saw on film because I didn't think he would quite run that fast. I thought he was closer to a 4-6 uh, from what I see on film. But he is a guy who can go up there and catch the ball. And if he's starting on the opposite side, he could be a Phil Rivers red zone type threat. Remember, Rivers loves, has always loved in his entire career, throwing it to the big guy, throwing it up, throwing a 50-50 ball to make a guy go make a play. Michael Pittman's the only person on that team who's going to be able to do that. The only one. T.Y. Hilton needs separation or to get deep. And Phillip Rivers, I've, I've commented time and time again now, Phillip Rivers, I don't think his arm's left. I think he's done. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a disaster. I think having a guy he could throw the ball up to is going to come in handy. Now, with Michael Pittman Jr., though, if you're talking, let's, talk, let's focus on this from a redraft perspective real quick. From a redraft perspective, it's going to be all about the touchdowns. How much can he get utilized in the red zone? Is he the starting wide receiver opposite of T.Y. Hilton? That's what it's going to take for him to really have a lot of fantasy value. Because you're not going to get 1,000 yards, and I think it would be safe to say that 800 yards would be a top-end ceiling goal for Michael Pittman in his rookie season, even if he is a starter on the other side. I think that would be impressive rookie year. So that's kind of what we have to take, but it's can you get... 8 to 10 touchdowns, 6 to 7 touchdowns, be a flex wide receiver guy that can have some value. There's an opportunity for that. This is one that we're going to have to wait and watch when we get into training camp and see how he's performing there. He's going to have to become the starter for this to even open up the door, but there's a real shot that he does. So there's a real shot. We're talking about Michael Pittman Jr. more so than some other rookie wide receivers in redraft leagues. There's an opportunity there. Now, for dynasty leagues... I think it comes down to what do you think about Jacob Easton or Jacoby Brissett? And do you think he will just continue to be their number one wide receiver who's a red zone threat? Because eventually, you know, T.Y. Hilton's going to have to move on. Presumably that role will be taken by Paris Campbell. I've been very vocal on the show saying that I do, I'm not a believer in Paris Campbell as a wide receiver. I actually think he needs to turn into a running back. I think he'd be more effective in that fashion. Obviously not with the Colts after they drafted Jonathan Taylor, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. But... Yeah, I mean, so it, it stands the reason that Michael Pittman Jr. right now has a pathway to be the number one wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts once T.Y. Hilton leaves, as, as of this moment, as of this moment. So right now, his dynasty value is very strong. He's definitely a guy who's going to be strong in the red zone. I just question a little bit how often he's able to get separation in certain instances. So I question if he's really ever going to be a true number one. I think I heard Chris Ballard the other day say that he kind of compared him to Vincent Jackson. It's not a bad comparison, because uh, Vincent Jackson never got a ton of separation either. Now, he learned how to use his body, how to box out. He learned how to be an efficient route runner, and that's something that Michael Pittman Jr. has to do. I, I do think it's it's a solid comp. And Vincent Jackson was able to become a number one wide receiver when he was able to put it all together. But it took Vincent Jackson about four years to kind of reach that point. I could see that being similar for Michael Pittman. That's why I think right now, his immediate value for the next at least two years, it's going to be all about how much do you get utilized in the red zone. But down the road, I do think this is somebody who has quite a bit of ability. Moving on, DeAndre Swift. Now, with DeAndre Swift here, you have a guy who 
is able to find himself in a situation that's very, very fluid in Detroit. Now, yes, on paper at first when this pick is made, you're looking at it instantly as a running back by committee with DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson, which immediately I was very, you know, I was very saddened by, I was disappointed by, because I love Carrion, and I really wanted him to get a chance, but I kind of knew after last season when he got hurt, when they were trying to give him that chance to be the featured guy, that he may not get that opportunity again, especially since Detroit, typically speaking, wants to have four to five running backs in their rotation for for no reason, because, you know, got Matt Patricia, he's still trying to do the New England thing in Detroit. It's not working out very well, but it's still, you know, what they're going to try to do at the end of the day. So when they actually gave him the opportunity last season to see what he could do as the featured guy, and then he wound up getting injured and wasn't terrible, it wasn't bad, but he wasn't terribly productive. When they were given, when he was on the field getting all those touches, kind of knew this might be coming. Kind of knew something like this might be coming. It's also sad for DeAndre Swift because I feel similar about DeAndre Swift. I think he was a guy I compared to a faster Devontae Freeman who I thought could maybe get the rock, but I also knew that he could find himself in a situation where he could be running back by committee. Now, that sounds bad, but here's the flip side of this. If Detroit is smart, and I stress if because there's a very good chance that they won't be because I haven't seen them be smart when it comes to running back uh, rotations yet. But let's, let's for a minute, let's give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and say that they can actually be smart about this situation. Maybe what they would do is do them by committee, but by series, not by role, not DeAndre Swift on third downs, carry on Johnson early down work or vice versa, because they both have very similar skill sets, not taking them out completely or one, one out or the other when it get in the goal line situations, which wouldn't make any sense either. And it wouldn't make any sense to bring in a third running back for that role because it, it's been proven time and time again. Now that doesn't actually work that well. Just split them by series. If they split these guys by series, they're both still in a situation that they could be flex starting players every single week and possibly be low-end RB2s. Now, there won't be anything more than that unless one of them gets injured because you're not going to be able to count on getting enough production, getting enough volume in order for that to happen. But if you split them by series, they will get enough to, they will be both able to get somewhere between 12 to 15 touches total between carries and receptions because they both can catch the ball. And they both can block a little bit, so they'll both be utilized in those areas. They could get 12 to 15 touches between carries and receptions per game. And with their game-breaking ability that they both have, that should be enough to make them consistent, at least, like I said, at least flex starters, RB2 options. This season, a redraft, and we're talking about with DeAndre Swift here because he's the rookie, so we want to talk about is his, what's his dynasty value, what's his redraft value, carry on Johnson to some degree as well because he's still a younger guy. They could coexist. There is a possibility to coexist. But I stress this point. Detroit has to be smart. Detroit can't be Detroit about it, frankly. Matt Patricia can't be Matt Patricia about it. It can't be you have these two splitting the work, but then you bring in a third running back to be a goal line back and then take the red zone looks off the table for them. It can't be you bring in a passing down back just to throw in there every so often just because. There can't be a third guy who's actually going to be involved. Just depth, but he can't be a guy who you think I actually have a chance to be involved. That's going to be the key. If it's just these two, and they're splitting by series, it will be very interesting coming up in the fantasy football draft. So there's something I want to, I want you guys to keep your eyes on. They can coexist and actually have value this year and possibly moving forward because maybe the two of them rotating series by series, like a Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman on the Atlanta Falcons, that's kind of what I imagine, uh, uh, yeah, imagine for, the, for these two, if they're smart about it, 
the very well good possibility that they they're going to have be able to keep each other healthy and have value for a few more years and they'll be able to ride this out until carry on's contract his rookie contracts up so that's kind of how i'm choosing to look at it until further notice but i do have that caveat there that detroit has not always been the smartest team in the world next up you have jonathan taylor now with jonathan taylor here you're talking about a guy who wound up in a situation that is beneficial to him but was detrimental to Marlon Mack. And I, this is another situation I was just, I was very sad about. I, I like Marlon Mack a lot. I think he has gotten the shaft, frankly, not just from the Colts in some certain instances, but from a lot of fantasy experts and a lot of fantasy fans out there who seem to not give Marlon Mack really any respect for the very good running back that he is. Is he a superstar? No, he's not a superstar. But he's a very good running back who, behind a good offensive line last year, whenever he was healthy on the field, he was a high-end RB2, borderline RB1 every single week, and he does not get that kind of respect, and I'm not really sure why. The And where he got the shaft at with the Colts is the fact that they refused to use him in the passing game, and it befuddles my mind, other than the fact that Frank Wright comes from a system where they just want to do running back by committee. But if you take that away for a second, when Marlon Mack was a rookie, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. He was used in the third down passing down role before there was a Naeem Hines. He was used in that capacity. He was used as the the pace, the, the change of pace back who could come in on third downs and catch the ball out of the backfield out in space and make something happen. That's what he was utilized. So now all of a sudden, because you have Naeem Hines last year, He's not allowed to play on third downs anymore. So that's where he got the shaft with the Colts for me, especially when talking about from a fantasy perspective. Now you got Jonathan Taylor coming in. Now, first of all, we need to address something that has a narrative that has been going on quite a bit, which I completely and adamantly disagree with, which is the idea that the second Jonathan Taylor was drafted by the Colts, Marlon Mack became the backup. And that, that's just not true. That's just not the case. When you actually look at the facts in front of you with Frank Wright, with the Colts, with the way they're set up, that is, no, that's not the case. And I'll tell you why. Because Marlon Mack, obviously, he's not going to be coming back to the Colts next year. That's why they drafted Jonathan Taylor, right? So the Colts are in a situation where you have to want to trade Marlon Mack. But the only way he's going to have value is if you have him out there on the field. And being that Jonathan Taylor is a rookie who did suffer from fumbling issues in college, and you can make the argument that any rookie could need some time to develop before they're ready to go. To me, there's no reason in my mind Marlon Mack is not the week one starter. Like I've said before, when he's healthy, he produces. So it's not like you're missing anything. And I do think that Marlon, Jonathan Taylor isn't going to outproduce Marlon Mack this year. This year. As far as when they were both healthy and on the field. Now, here's what I will say. The second Marlon Mack gets hurt, not only does Jonathan Taylor obviously take over the job because he's there, but he may never get the job up again after that point. So that, that's, that's what you have to look at when you're talking about Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. So for the 
long-term aspect of the season. If you want the guy who's actually going to be starting for this team in Week 16, yes, Jonathan Taylor is the guy that you want to have. But to draft Jonathan Taylor, because right now I saw something about his ADP for redraft leagues, not dynasty leagues, but redraft leagues, was RB17, which means you're drafting him as a middling RB2. That makes no sense. He's not going to be the starter Week 1, guys. He's not going to be a starter week one, guys. So MD Nation, I say to you for the first time, I think this season, let someone else make that mistake. It's one of my favorite sayings to say when we're getting closer to draft time. Let someone else make that mistake. And I think this, I think that's probably my, my first time, my first time uh, using that so far this this 2020 year. Let someone else make that mistake. Jonathan Taylor is not going to be the RB17, at least not from a drafting value perspective, because Marlon Mack is still going to be the starter week one. Now, we're not going to know exactly what the split's going to be until we get closer into the season. That much is true, but it's not going to be week one. And if I had to guess, Jonathan Taylor would get sprinkled in here and there, but I think it's going to predominantly be Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines until Mack gets hurt. And then Taylor might be taken over from that point on. Kind of very similar, very similar to the Philadelphia Eagles situation last year. They drafted Miles Sanders. They had Jordan Howard. But what happened? Everyone expected Miles Sanders to take over the job in training camp. They thought he was going to be the week one starter. If he wasn't going to be the week one starter, he was definitely going to be their go-to guy come by the end of September. And weeks and weeks and weeks kept going by and going by and going by. And still, Miles Sanders had very little value and was, for all essential purposes, the backup running back. I see a very similar situation until Jordan Howard got hurt. And then Miles Sanders took over, and then he was the featured guy. And he had a nice little run there for fantasy football purposes down the stretch. I see a very similar thing here with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. So don't overdraft them. I think Taylor is the guy who's more valuable if you're looking at it from the perspective of who's going to be starting in the playoffs for this team. But Marlon Mack's going to have some value. And this is a situation that if you're going to invest in it, I would probably try to draft both. And I don't usually like to do that because I don't like to waste washer spots. But if you are going to invest in this because it is going to be a productive offense, it is a very good offensive line, so I can understand wanting to, I just I would make sure you're protecting your backside and make sure you're drafting both. But I'm not going to overdraft Jonathan Taylor. He's definitely not going to be my RB17. And neither is Marlon Mack. So just let someone else make that mistake if they want to go that high on a guy. Next up, you got the Jacksonville Jaguars, pick 42. They came in, and they went with LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca Chenault. And look, my comparison to him, obviously, was a poor man version of Sammy Watkins. And the reason for that is because the way that he runs routes, the body type that he is, he's more of a physical type of receiver, more of a uh, angry off-the-line type of wide receiver, more of a guy who's good after the catch type of wide receiver but we talked about and we've broken down his videos a couple times before leading up into the draft we, we talked about some of the the flaws that he has in his game right not a great route runner uh for a guy who's built on going deep didn't run a great 40 4 5 8 he doesn't really have the actual speed to burn uh defensive backs in the nfl so he's going to have to do it with being able to beat them up at the line of scrimmage and getting past them and being able to kind of get trying to get leverage on them that way with his body strength which he which he may be able to do 6'1 227 he's compact he's like a running back at the wide receiver position which seems to be a more common and more popular type of thing for the teams are kind of looking for right now now for the jaguars though this did make some sense so while i think lavisca chanel at the end of the day i think has a long way to go 
uh, before he can really be a consistent starting perimeter wide receiver, consistent contributor. I think he's got at least two years. He fits well with what they have because when you have DJ Chark already and you have D.D. Westbrook, you're not asking LaVisca Chanel to do a lot. You're asking him to be a playmaker. D.J. Chark took the big step up last year. I do think he is a true wide receiver one. I do think he's that guy. I think he, I think he, we still haven't seen uh, his, the, his most potential out of him. I don't think we've seen his best days yet. So that is something to kind of consider when you're when you're looking at it, and and the more I think about it, and we have D.D. Westbrook who can play inside outside, Lavisca Chanel can come in and kind of just be a playmaker. Now I don't know how much he's going to play his rookie season, and I don't really know how good the Jacksonville Jaguars' offense is going to be in its entirety at all this year. Where I don't know how much you're going to really value guys outside of D.J. Chark or Leonard Fournette. Because you're not really going to be able to trust the consistency that this offense is going to be able to put guys in position to score. So all those things are, are, are aspects that you kind of have to take in consideration here. And I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, but from a dynasty standpoint, I think that's what you're, you're looking at in this instance. I think the idea is, and I, whether or not anybody else wants to talk about this out of Jacksonville or or wants to presume because we presumed on the Dolphins tanking and they want up the fifth pick, even though they still got the guy that we all thought they were taking for in the first place. I am willing to say that I truly believe the Jacksonville Jaguars are tanking for Trevor Lawrence. So if you want to look at it from that perspective, which I think is actually the more common, the more common reality of the situation. And you look at LaVisca Chanel, you look at DJ Chark, Maybe D.D. Westbrook, we'll see if they bring him back. But you're looking at that with the future of Trevor Lawrence being the quarterback. It's not going to be Gardner Minshew. I can already tell you that right now. Gardner Minshew is Ryan Fitzpatrick all over again. He's going to have spurts where he's going to light it up, but then he's going to come back down to reality for the lack of talent at quarterback that he actually is. So I'm going to presume that the Jaguars are going to have the number one pick next year. I'm going to presume that they're going to have Trevor Lawrence going into next season. And I do think Trevor Lawrence is the franchise guy. I think he, if he was in this quarterback class, he would have been the best quarterback over Joe Burrow, over Tua Tagovailoa, over anybody. He is the franchise guy, in my opinion. So if you want to take a wide receiver who has an opportunity to potentially be playing with that in another year from now, that's where I can kind of see his dynasty value being a little bit higher. But this, remember, this is a guy who still needs a long way to go to develop. He didn't wind up in a situation that has a lot of coaches that are known for being able to develop their products. I mean, when they make an argument about DJ Chark, fine. I think DJ Chark just had a lot of raw talent to begin with, and he didn't really put it together as far as a route runner goes. He still has a long way to go in that, but he just became a, a bigger physical playmaking threat on the outside that they just had to go to. And I thought that was a big reason why he had to boost up. So that that's where I want to you know, make sure you have the right value involved with Vizca Chanel. Redraft-wise, I don't think he has any value. But dynasty-wise, if you want to draft him in perspective, that ter- ter- there's a very good chance that Trevor Lawrence is going to be his quarterback next season. This is a guy who might get a little bit of a boost up. And there's also a good chance that they might be moving on from D.D. Westbrook. So it might not be long before he's the number two on that team. That could be transforming into a a vertical throwing team pretty soon because they might move on from Leonard Fournette. They might just go all in on the idea of Trevor Lawrence and being a vertical threat throwing first team at that point. And we'll see what the coaching situation is. There's just a lot in flux with Jacksonville Jaguars when you break it all down. There really is. So don't overdraft him, but he does have some sneaky value for you there. Next up, Chicago Bears. The Bears who only had finally got the draft pick here because they didn't get the draft in the uh, in the first round because of the the the, uh, the the Mac trade, obviously. Go with Cole Komet. 
<laughs> which was, you know, it was hilarious because they've been a running meme all season long, right? Because of the the amount of tight ends that they've had on the roster, which has been absolutely ridiculous. And they finally let go of Trey Burton the other day. So like, oh, they finally got rid of somebody. And then they go and they, they bring in Cole Komet. And, and the funny thing is that Cole Komet is probably the best tight end they have on the roster. I'm still trying to rack my brain for an actual reason as to why they paid Jimmy Graham $8 million. I still can't come up with an answer that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. So you know they want to at least use Jimmy Graham in some capacity. Maybe they want to use him in the what they wanted Trey Burton to be, just a, a flex-out guy, a red zone guy, and maybe that's the goal for them. But Cole Komet, I think, is actually going to be the starting quote-unquote tight end because... And I, we did a video on him breaking him down as well. He is the only tight end, in my opinion, who can be a day one all-around starting tight end. He's the only one who comes in and can already block, can already catch, can already play in the NFL day one. He's the only tight end who I thought could, only, could already come in and play day one. So I do think we're going to see him be the starter. The quarterback position is in flux. Whether it's Mr. Trubisky, whether it's Nick Foles, I don't care which one it is. You're not going to have a great quarterback either way. So I do think there's going to be a little bit more of a commitment to get the running game going with David Montgomery this season out of Chicago, which is another reason why I think you're going to see Cole Komet be starting day one because Jimmy Graham can't. He was never a great blocker to begin with, but you really don't want him out there at this point in his career. If you're going to make any usage out of that $8 million contract that you paid him, you have to let him flex out and be a red zone target. Have to. Have to. So what does that do for fantasy purposes? Well, I like it a lot for dynasty purposes. I mean, remember... You're, you're dealing with Nagy, who comes from Kansas City, who utilized Travis Kelsey. The Philadelphia Eagles have always been able to make their tight ends fantasy relevant. So I like this a lot from a dynasty perspective. Cole Komet was already going to be my number one tight end for dynasty rookie drafts. This has kind of amplified that. And I don't think this is a bad, bad landing spot, even if we're dealing with an entire new quarterback next year. even So even if we're dealing with that, I still think Cole Komet has a very good chance to be fantasy relevant he's a good chain mover I compared him to Heath Miller I think he already understands the nuances of route running especially against zone he knows how to get open when he needs to get open he knows how to be a safety blanket for his quarterback and being a 6'6 250 being a guy who can block he's going to be utilizing the red zone do I think he's somebody who's going to light it up do I think he's a George Kittle a Travis Kelsey do I think he has the ability from a fantasy perspective to be an Evan Ingram a Mark Andrews no, I don't. I don't think we're talking about a guy who's a future top five tight end at, at some point in fantasy football. But a top 10 tight end? Yeah. Yeah, I think we are talking about that when it comes to Cole Komet. Not for his rookie season. Rookie years, I, unless they're a pure, just thoroughbred athlete who you know is going to get, who's going to start and be featured when they get drafted year one as a rookie, I just try to avoid rookie tight ends because it just rarely ever seems to work out. I mean... Even Noah Fant, who had the best season as a rookie last year, there really weren't too many games that you could actually start Noah Fant on your fantasy teams. There really wasn't. And TJ Hawkinson, as great as I think he's going to be, as much talent as that guy possesses, he wasn't very good his rookie season. And I do think that they're both much better, especially from a fantasy perspective, than Cole Komet is. So I don't know how much value Cole Komet's really going to have uh, this year, but just kind of something to keep in mind there. Now, moving on to pick 46, you had K.J. Hamler. Now, with K.J. Hamler, you had a guy who I wasn't too big on, right? I didn't think he was super awesome. I didn't think he was somebody who was 
should have been drafted in the second round. That's not where I had my grade on him. I, I when we broke down his tape, I saw him as a guy who was a a small fast receiver, but didn't really have great route running ability. Wasn't somebody who I thought you could plug in at the slot and be able to pl- do option routes off of and, and work those typical slot receiver places that you wanted to do outside of drags, outside of, of maybe bubble screens, outside of, of, of stretching the seam. Was, wasn't really what I had him. I actually thought he was a 5'9", 178-pound wide receiver who really right now in his development needed to play on the perimeter. That's kind of when I looked at KJ Hamler. So I didn't have him going, or at least my grade wouldn't have had him going until the third or fourth round. But I don't hate this pick. The reason I don't hate this pick is because what the Denver Broncos were able to do in the first round going after Jerry Judy. Because they were able to get Jerry Judy, because you already have Cortland Sutton, drafting KJ Hamler here in the second round actually makes sense. So I'm not, while I typically I will kill teams who take guys that I have graded much lower. I'm not going to do it in this situation because the fit makes sense. Jerry, Judy, Cortland, Sutton, they can play inside, they can play outside, especially Judy, right? So you don't need KJ Hamler to play the slot as a smaller type of wide receiver. What you need him to do is be a deep field threat to take the safety out of the box and not be able to key on Cortland, Sutton, and Jerry, Judy. And he fits what Pat Shermer ideally would like to do perfectly. I love Pat Shermer as an offensive mind, and I will pretty much anytime I bring up the Denver Broncos, I bring up Pat Shermer as the offensive coordinator. I'm going to bring up the fact that the Giants were stupid for firing him, and that should never have happened. And I'm going to continue to bring that up. But he fits perfectly with what they want to do with that typical West Coast system, motion, intermediate, tack them deep, play action. I, I mean, that's what you're talking about with Pat Shermer. He knows how to get guys open in space. And KJ Hamler helps open up that. Now, KJ Hamler's his, his value. His fantasy value in and of itself, not very impressed with. He's definitely no no redraft value there. You're talking about dynasty, possibly. You need a better quarterback. Drew Locke's not going to be great, guys. He's not accurate enough. I know Pat Shermer, and this is this is the argument I've had going on in my head, is, like, well, what's the caveat to that? Because Pat Shermer has had success with quarterbacks who weren't that great in the past. Case Keenum lit it up. Uh, you know, He's had crappy quarterbacks he's able to perform well with, but... The common thread that I found with the quarterbacks in the past that maybe weren't as talented, but Pat Shermer was able to find success out of, all has something in common. They were more accurate than they were strong-armed. Drew Locke's the exact opposite. He's more strong-armed than he is accurate. And that's where I don't think he really fits Shermer. I don't think he... I'm per, per, personally, I've never been a Drew Locke fan because of that. I don't think you're talking about a guy who's gonna, consistently going to be able to hit that 60% completion mark. I don't especially not down the field. He has a cannon for an arm. He has a strong arm, but he's not accurate. And we talked about this before, the difference between strong arm and arm strength. He has a strong arm. He can throw it a mile down the field, but I question his arm strength. I question his arm talent because when it comes to actually throwing a football on a dime with velocity outside the numbers, 15 to 25 yards down the field, I'm fearful that, that at best, that ball is usually going to be incomplete, if not picked off, when it comes to Drew Locke. Now, maybe I wind up being wrong. Maybe Pat Shermer is the key for him. But I'm not counting on it. Now, if they get a better quarterback next season, now we'll talk about K.J. Hamler's dynasty value. Because if you get a better quarterback who can spread it around and get everybody involved, K.J. Hamler does have that big playability, obviously, just with his speed alone. But I see him more as a Tavon Austin. I see him more as a guy who will be more beneficial to the team from an NFL standpoint than he will ever be valued fantasy-wise. So 
I'm not really going to bother taking KJ Hamler. Even in dynasty leagues, even with the potential of the big playability, even with the potential of that offense being very productive, which I think it has a real shot to be because of all the weapons that they have everywhere at the skill positions. I'm not going to bother taking KJ Hamler. It's going to be too few and far between. To me, he's nothing more than a guy that you can kind of plug in in DFS and hope that it's the week that he goes off. And I think that's really all you're talking about when it comes to him. Now, next up, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers. And with the Pittsburgh Steelers here, they made their first pick, kind of like the Chicago Bears here in the second round. They went after Chase Claypool which I thought was a pretty good move. Now, again, this is another wide receiver that I had somewhere in the third, fourth round. I didn't really have him uh, this high in the second round, but he probably wasn't going to be there again when the Steelers got the pick, and that's where I don't really, again, I don't really kill it. They needed a big threat wide receiver. Ben Roethlisberger has always been at his best when he has a big receiver to be able to throw the football to, and when he doesn't have that, that's when you see him have certain issues with uh, incompletions, have certain issues with inefficiencies, have certain issues just with being inconsistent in general when he doesn't have that big guy that he can go to down the field. Remember, he was at best when he had Plaxico Burris. He was at his best when he had Martavius Bryant. Even if he wasn't his number one wide receiver in Martavius Bryant, just having that deep field threat, that bigger guy that you throw a 50-50 ball to every so often to keep defenses off balance went a long way with Ben Roethlisberger. And... That type of receiver was usually productive. Chase Claypool has a long way to go as far as developing into a true number one wide receiver if you think he has that ability. He has great physical ability. Great physical ability. He still needs to learn to run routes. He's still not as good as you would like him to be going up and getting the ball and high-pointing the ball in 50-50 traffic. He's not terrible in that situation by any stretch of the means, but for as, as big as he is, as much of an athlete he is, you would like him to be a little bit better in that department than what he is. But if you think that he has a chance to be the Martavius Bryant role, I would agree with that. I think you are talking about a guy, a rookie wide receiver, who legitimately might have redraft value. I think you are talking about a rookie wide receiver who legitimately might be a perimeter starter. Because now, look at, look at the fit now. You can go back to Juju Smith-Schuster playing in the slot. You can have Claypool on the outside to be that bigger threat who takes the top off. And then you have a rotation going on between James Washington and Deontay Johnson. I don't think you can coexist with both Deontay Johnson and James Washington on the field at the same time. I think they're too much of the same wide receiver. Both possession type of guys. Both guys where you just want to kind of get open and work as the second option at best to Juju Smith-Schuster and working off of that. I don't think you can coexist with both of those guys because if you coexist with Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster as your starters, you don't have enough of a deep threat. No one's really fearful of you going over the top on them. That's why I think Chase Claypool has a real shot at being the starter, if nothing else, just to have that role, that ability on the field the majority of the time. And if you've listened to the show ever, you know that I'm not a big James Washington fan, so I do expect it to be Deontay Johnson who overtakes that job and be that other guy. And this opens everything. Chase Claypool, if he starts on the perimeter, this doesn't just boost Ben Roethlisberger's value. This doesn't just talk about what Claypool could possibly do from a Martavius Bryant standpoint where he was consistently enough a guy that you can plug in your lineup every week knowing that every other week or maybe every other, every two weeks he was going to single-handedly win you a game and Claypool could fill could actually have something a similar production rate this year and the only other person I've ever said that about was DK Metcalf which came true and I think Chase Claypool is in a similar situation but this also boosts the value back up for Juju Smith-Schuster because now if he's allowed to go back into the slot which is where I think he needs to live with Ben Roethlisberger being back 
all of a sudden, all that love that he was getting last season, could he be a wide receiver one, I think gets put right back on the table. So Chase Claypool, to me, is somebody who I think we need to be watched very closely for redraft leagues and very possibly could be a sleeper in that scenario. And we will be watching him closely here on the MD's Fitting Football Show, and I will be reporting him to you guys to make sure you don't miss out on this potential sleeper. For dynasty value, you know, dynasty value is actually a little bit trickier because even if you think Chase Claypool can develop into a true number one wide receiver with the with the physical gifts that he has, there's still no clear-cut answer as to what the future is at the quarterback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They didn't really address it this year. We already know after watching last season, they definitely don't have the future franchise quarterback on the roster as we speak. We know that for a fact. And I don't know if you get another season after this out of Ben Roethlisberger. So what the Steelers do at the quarterback position moving forward, I think, is a big question mark. However, you could look at it the other way where they've kind of opened the door that they might be moving on from Juju Smith-Schuster after this season, kind of regardless of what happens. So if that winds up being the case, now all of a sudden you're talking about, well, Chase Claypool might have to be forced into being the number one wide receiver regardless of where they go. So I think you have a fail-safe here where his volume will, will possibly get boosted even if the quarterback situation is questionable at best moving forward. So I think he's definitely somebody worth taking because he also is somebody who can produce for you right away. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Before we move on to our next picks, I do want to talk to you guys about MyBookie, one of the great sponsors of this show. You can visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code BELLYUP for a 50% deposit bonus today when you sign up. Now, yes, there's no sports going on, but you can always bet on things like the Democratic nomination, like the presidential election. There's a plethora of things that you can bet on with MyBookie. It not, doesn't just have to be sports. So make sure you go ahead and check them out. Again, visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code BELLYUP for a 50% deposit bonus when you sign up today. Don't miss out on that. Next up on the clock, you got Cam Akers. Yes, I love that he went to the Rams here. Now, a lot of people are not not super thrilled about this, right? Because a lot of people are looking at this from the perspective of, oh, all of a sudden now we got a three-headed monster for this season. I agree. I don't know if I'm going to be attacking the Rams' backfield by any stretch of the means this year. Probably not, actually, more I think about it. And also, I'm not attacking Cam Akers. A lot of people want to be like, oh, Cam Akers, day one starter. Kind of similar with the Jonathan Taylor situation, and I want everyone to pump their brakes. Cam Akers can't block to save his life. He probably is, I don't even say probably is, he is 100% without a doubt the worst 
pass-blocking running back of this rookie draft class. And if you can't block as a rookie running back, and I will continue to say it, you are not in line to be guaranteed a lot of playing time. Even on first and second downs, even on obvious running situations, you are still not guaranteed a lot of playing time until that situation in your game, that aspect of your game, gets improved upon. And I think it's going to take more than an offseason, more than a training camp, even more than a year for Cam Akers to get to even adequate enough status for that to happen. Now, the Rams might find themselves in a situation where they need a game-breaker. But I think Daryl Henderson is kind of a game-breaker. I think Malcolm Brown is somebody they're really high on. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given the contract last season to not only pay him pretty decently for a backup, but with the idea that he could be their first, second, and goal line starter this season. I don't think this changes what they had in mind this year. Not a lot. Will Cam Akers be completely left off the rotation? I don't think completely. But will there be games that he's completely forgotten about, especially early on in the season? Yeah, I do think that's a real possibility. And this isn't a situation like with Jonathan Taylor, where if you ask me who's going to be the starter week 16, I wouldn't be able to tell you with any confidence it's Cam Akers if you actually look at the situation logically. Daryl Henderson was a guy a lot of people were high on last year. They drafted him in the second round. He ain't going to disappear. And he, coming out of college... He was supposed to be more than just a receiving back, just supposed to be more than just a game-breaking third-down type of back. He was supposed to be a guy who can come in and, and be a change of pace and play on first and second downs as well in his own right. I don't think they just moved on from Daryl Henderson. We didn't really get to see this guy play. We didn't get to see him play enough to say that he's definitely a bust. He wasn't super impressive, but he didn't really get a chance. So I don't with Daryl Henderson, I don't, I don't know. I really think that they're still going to go in this season with the idea... That Mal- especially, like I said, week one, early on, at the very least, Malcolm Brown will be the guy on first and second downs, will be the guy on goal line situations at the very least, and Daryl Henderson is going to get his opportunity on passing down work to be a change of pace guy. And maybe at some point in the season, Cam Akers gets mixed in there, but unless there's some injuries that happen specifically to Malcolm Brown, I don't know how much value Cam Akers is going to have this season. So from a redraft perspective, I think he has potential for streaming value and nothing more. Now, from a dynasty perspective, I totally change it too. Because after this year, I expect Malcolm Brown to be gone. Because this will be his last year of the contract that he signed last season. If you drafted Cam Akers in the second round, you have Daryl Henderson that you drafted in the second round. There's going to be no reason to have Malcolm Brown in the rotation. No reason to have him on the team. So... After this season, this will be Cam Akers' job, especially on first and second downs. I also want to make sure I'm making this point clearly, too, because I was called out a little bit on this when I broke down the tape of Cam Akers, and that is, I'm not saying he's a bad receiving running back. I'm not saying that this guy isn't somebody who has the potential to be a featured three-down running back at some point and has the strength and ability to be a guy who might be able to get 250 to 300 touches in a season at some point. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that... that level of production that he potentially could reach, and I agree could potentially could reach, is not going to be immediately because of the lackadaisical ability to be able to block. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's not better than Malcolm Brown. I'm not saying that I don't think he's better than Dell Henderson. I think he's better than both those guys. I think he is the most talented running back in that room the second he was drafted. That's not what I'm saying. So I want to make sure that's clear to everybody. It's just this season, I'm pumping the brakes on Cam Akers. I'm probably not going to draft Cam Akers in redraft leagues. He'd be a guy that I'd be looking for in the streaming option, which means I'm probably not going to have Cam Akers, and I'm going to be okay with that. The Rams have a long way to go to prove that they can get back to what they were a couple of years ago, frankly, on offense, as far as I'm concerned anyway. So try to keep that in mind as well. Now, 
was Daryl Henderson's value? We'll have to see how this all plays out in training camp. But I think you can count on him being a guy who's going to still still have his third down role work. And I still think they want to give him an opportunity, which is another reason why I question K-Makers this season. But like I said, for dynasty purposes, he's definitely the future of this backfield. There's no doubt about that. So I still like him a lot. And I still think this offense will be, you know, regardless of what happened last year, will be a top 12 type of offense more times not and give him opportunities to be uh, very productive. Next up, we had Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts going to the Philadelphia Eagles. This was a big, controversial pick. And look, whatever you may think of the pick itself, whether it was dumb, whether it was smart, whether you know, whether the ridiculousness out there about you know Carson Wentz and is he going to usurp Carson Wentz at some point, whatever. That, that's not going to happen. That's number one. Uh. I compared Jalen Hurts to Tyrod Taylor before this draft happened, mostly because I saw a similar career path for him if he got drafted in the right spot. He got drafted in the right spot. He got drafted in a place where he's going to be able to learn the quarterback position. He's going to be able to learn how to, how to read defenses. And I think four years from the, down the road from now, I don't think it will be for the Philadelphia Eagles, but four years down the road from now, I think he's going to get an opportunity to start somewhere and be a playmaker. And kind of be like Tyrod Taylor, where he might be fantasy relevant top 12 because he's going to be able to run around for a couple of years for somebody. And maybe be a stopgap starter. Maybe be a competitive starter to try to keep a team in the playoffs. I see a very similar career path. And I think that's got cemented by him getting drafted by the Eagles. I don't think, because of that, he is somebody that definitely, not, obviously, we're not targeting him in redraft leagues. But when you're talking about in dynasty perspective... I don't know how much I'm going to have to Jalen Hurts. Now, if you want to make the argument that you think Carson Wentz does not have the ability to ever play six, a full 16-game season or, you know, after this year, we're going to 17 games pretty soon, a full 17-game season in the future, then I could understand maybe taking Jalen Hurts if you have Carson Wentz. That would make some sense to me, especially in Dynasty Leagues, usually a little bit deeper. Taking Jalen Hurts as a handcuff in your rookie drafts if you have Carson Wentz does make some sense to me. But otherwise, I am... I am serious when I say I think it could be four years before Jalen Hurts gets an opportunity to start somewhere. So for even for dynasty leagues, that's too long for me to sit pat and wait on somebody. So I'm probably not going to go after him. And I would probably advise you, like I said, unless you have Carson Wentz out there in MD Nation, to not go after him either. Next up, we're talking about J.K. Dobbins going to the Baltimore Ravens. Love, 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 love this pick. Love this pick. First of all, step aside Gus Edwards, step aside Justice Hill. He can J.K. Dobbins is a guy to me that who can play all three downs, and he is better at Justice Hill than catching uh, catching the ball. He is better than Gus Edwards at running the ball. So automatically, to me, he becomes the number two guy. Now he has a long way to go in pass blocking, which is why Mark Ingram. I don't have any fear of him keeping the starting job. I think Mark Ingram will still be the starter. And just like last year when I was beating the drum that Mark Ingram was going to finish an RB1 and I was 100% right, I do think he's going to be in a similar situation to do it again. I don't think J.K. Dobbins takes away that ability for that to happen for him. The reason why I think that is because, well, one, you got the Baltimore Ravens, you got Greg Roman. They still want to be aggressive. They still want to be physical in running the football and that being their identity. And Mark Ingram is still the best suited running back they have on their roster to continue that identity. And plus, not to mention, he's this is the last year left on his deal. Remember, he signed a two-year contract. So after this season, this is the, what I love about certain situations, and this this goes you know to why I love Todd Gurley too. 
when you have veteran running backs who are on one-year deals or on the last year of their deal, who are still pretty good, who are in a situation that teams want to be able to utilize the running game, like the Ravens do, like the Falcons do, and when you're on that last year of your deal, they don't care if they use you up. This isn't a situation where I feel like I have to save you or make sure I wash your touches to make sure you're fresh and make sure I get your longevity out of you. They don't care. The Falcons aren't going to care about Todd Gurley. The Ravens aren't going to care about Mark Ingram. So last year, on average, I think Mark Ingram averaged about 16 touches a game. Uh, obviously, the pass, you know, the pass catching was hit or miss, but you expected to come with Mark Ingram and his, you know, what his skill set is. He's not always going to be the receiving guy, but he's not going to lose touches. Like he's still going to get somewhere between fourteen to sixteen touches a game, even with the addition of J.K. Dobbins. So I don't think Mark Ingram's, and because I don't think he lost a step by any stretch of the means, especially with Lamar Jackson and his offense and the way they're built, I, I don't see any reason why he can't have a similar year to what he had last year. I, my, my only question would be, could you be a little bit more consistent than you were last season? You know, instead of getting me these 100-yard, two to three touchdown games, but then only getting me like 50 yards and, and, and nothing else for like the two weeks after that, which seemed to be you know, the case, while he finished as the RB1, he was more like an RB2 when it came to consistency last season. Could you be more like an RB1 as far as consistency goes? That would be my only real question for Mark Ingram, but as far as him being a high-end RB2 who you know you're going to have RB1 weeks out of, that doesn't change in my book at all, even with this draft pick made. The reason why I love this draft pick so much, though, is one, because I think Dobbins automatically becomes number two because he can do everything Justice Hill can do and do everything Gus Edwards does and better, is that they utilize the running game so much that he's going to get probably eight to ten touches. And if he is able to usurp both Edwards and Justice Hill and he's able to be the one who gets molded into one for what those guys produced last year and how many touches they were able to get, well, we're talking about a guy who might be a borderline flex play here and there. Not every week, but a borderline flex play here and there. He might even be able to utilize. Now, I'm not going to be drafting that. I'm not drafting J.K. Dobbins in redraft leagues unless, unless I am drafting him as a handcuff to Mark Ingram, which I don't think would be the worst strategy in the world. Again, there are certain, I usually don't like to, I don't, I usually don't like to promote the idea of handcuffing because I don't really believe in wasting roster spots. But what I will say is that there's certain situations that are exceptions. This would be an exception in my opinion. If I am going to do spend the draft capital on Mark Ingram in the first four rounds, whenever that may be, I will probably spend the draft capital to make sure I go ahead and draft J.K. Dobbins later on the draft and redraft leagues. Because if anything happens to Mark Ingram, look out. Because J.K. Dobbins, the one difference between him and Mark Ingram, Dobbins might not be as physical, but he's more of a playmaker. He's more of a game breaker. So we might get those bigger plays out of him. And also, if Ingram gets hurt and J.K. Dobbins plays really well, which there's no reason to think he wouldn't be able to succeed with what the Ravens have around him, there is a chance that maybe he would become the lead guy. I mean, not completely. Great. Remember, Greg Roman is the type of guy, he is more loyal to veterans in these situations. So he'll give them back their jobs, normally speaking, unless the rookie is just absolutely lighting it up. Remember that. That's also why I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to be usurping Mark Ingram this year either before before we get into week one. Because remember, Greg Roman is more loyal to veterans. We talked about that last year. So we talked about I talked about that why I didn't think Justice Hill was really going to have this role that everybody expected him to have, this significant role. And he didn't. He didn't. Because he, he doesn't he doesn't really like rookies that much, especially rookies who are specialty guys. Now Dobbins isn't a specialty guy, so that's where he kind of gets off the hook a little bit, but he's still more loyal to veterans. But Dobbins for the future, Dobbins for Dynasty, 
I am willing to make the argument that along with Hilaire, along with Taylor, along with DeAndre Swift, Dobbins is right there as the first running back who should be off the board in dynasty leagues. I, I the argument I'm not saying he is my number one. I think that would still be Taylor because I still think Taylor is just the best one of them all. I still think he is the the only one who's really truly a superstar. I understand that the Hilaire argument now he's with the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in the full point PPR leagues, makes a lot of sense too. DeAndre Swift's probably the only one that you have to kind of take out of the equation because you know he's going to be splitting time now with uh, with Carryon Johnson for at least a few couple of years. So he's probably the one you drop off that conversation. But an argument can be made for J.K. Dobbins because when you're talking about the Ravens, what they like to do, when you're talking about the fact he's going to be playing with Lamar Jackson and running quarterbacks, what what just normal mobile running quarterbacks do for running backs, and then you add the fact that Lamar Jackson is, is a running quarterback that we haven't seen since Michael Vick and may even be better than that. That's the interesting part to me. So that, that that's the J.K. Dobbins. I know I went on a little bit long about that, but there's a lot to talk about when it came to J.K. Dobbins. Next guy to talk about is Van Jefferson. Boo! This was a terrible pick. Terrible pick. Their comp to him was Cooper Cup, who you already have. Does this mean you're moving on for Cooper Cup next season? And if you are, why? Why? I know the Rams have a lot of cap issues, but if you can't keep your stars together, what was the point of acquiring all this talent? If you can't keep Cooper Cup on this team, what was the point of going for it? Why would you move on for Cooper Cup? Why would you make cap room in other ways, in other places? That's all Van Jefferson is, by the way. He is a big slot receiver. He's not a guy who can stress the field. He's not very fast. He's not a Brandon Cook's replacement. So we stick with the idea that I've talked about before when they when they let when they trade away Brandon Cooks that I thought they were gonna keep with their two tight end set, more conservative play action, shorter range offense that we saw towards the end of last season, and I thought they were gonna continue that into this year. This proves that because they didn't go after any but unlike everybody else who's trying to go after the fastest wide receivers they could possibly get their hands on, the Rams went the exact opposite way. They just wanted more guys who can run more routes and, and, and be bigger slot receivers. That that's what the direction they went. They didn't get any speed. So it just cements that idea of what we're going to see out of their offense this season. But Van Jefferson, he's not that great. He's not that great. He's an okay depth wide receiver. A wide receiver three. That's what he is. And you took him in the second round. So not only did you take him way too high, but now you open up the door that you're actively looking to replace Cooper Cup because that's the only thing I can surmise from you taking this pick which makes no sense. So keep that in mind, Cooper Cubs value, because I think that's what this says about that. And Van Jefferson, I'll spend a late rookie pick on him just because there's a potential that if they do let go of Cooper Cup, he could become the number two wide receiver from a target standpoint for this team at some point in the future. But from the, from the aspect of him being really good or him having a lot of value or him being able to put up the production that, that Cooper Cup did, no, no. And the other reason, by the way, that I think it would be terrible for them to get rid of Cooper Cup is that Clearly, Jared Goff doesn't trust anybody more than Cooper Cup on that field, especially in the red zone. It's not Robert Woods. He gets Robert Woods the ball, but not in the red zone. The only person who gets the ball in the red zone consistently is Cooper Cup. Is he going to have that same rapport with Van Jefferson? Mm, I doubt it. I haven't seen a rapport like Cooper Cup and Jared Goff have between each other since, well, outside of Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, frankly. It's a real rapport there. There's just a lot of bad things happening here in a lot of different ways. I'm going to kind of stay away from it, and I think the Rams might be on the way down the valley over the next couple of seasons. So just kind of keep that in mind as well. Next up, Denzel Mims. Oh, Mims. Mims. You broke my heart, Denzel Mims. Not because of you. You had no choice. 
There was nothing you could do about it. But going to the Jets, being the re- obvious replacement for Robbie Anderson, uh, just breaks my heart. My only hope for you is one from a dynasty perspective, because from a redraft perspective, I mean, even even if he is the starting wide receiver, which he could be, I mean, I, that coming in, Denzel Mims, to me, even even though he's a, a more raw-type prospect, even though he does have a long way to go as far as route-running ability and, and, and some nuances he's got to learn, uh, I could very easily make the argument he's better than Brashad Perryman. I know everybody wants to give Brashad Perryman all his credit, like, oh, maybe he's a better receiver now, because what we he was productive out of necessity last season. I, I don't, you're in a Bruce Arian system, which is a throw-first system. You can't run the football. Jameis Winston's going to throw a deep come hell or high water, and you are fast. This idea that Brashad Perryman suddenly took this step up this point in his career, he was productive by default. I don't, I don't really get why anybody's adding any other kind of inflection, any kind of another analysis, any kind of other impression into it. It's so obvious. Productive by default. Now, some people want to make the argument, can he be productive by default with the Jets because there are nobody else? And if James Crowder is the only real receiver they have and he only plays a slot, maybe. Maybe. As a wide receiver four who you can play in the flex sometimes, as a guy who can play a DFS league sometimes, yeah, maybe. I think Denzel Mims is the same, and I think Denzel Mims is better than Brashad Perryman even coming in a rookie year, even though he has he has he does have some development he needs to undertake. But we've seen this before with Adam Gase, and this is why I didn't want him to go to the Jets. We've seen this before. Star caliber perimeter wide receivers do not do well under Adam Gase. The only time they ever have was when he had Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas. And I am starting as the years go by, I am starting to think more and more that had more to do with Peyton Manning than ever did with Adam Gase. It just becomes more and more obvious that that's the case. Hated Devontae Parker for no reason. And we, and we saw last season, it definitely wasn't because of talent. Because Parker lit the whole world on fire with Ryan Fitzpatrick and nothing else around as his quarterback, as that offense. And was a wide receiver one at the end of the season for a long stretch. So we know it wasn't talent. It's just, yeah. I didn't want Denzel Mims to go here. Like I said, my hope for him is dynasty. My hope for him is Adam Gase is fired after this season. Oh, BTW, having Sam Darnold as a quarterback doesn't help the situation. Because he's not a guy who has a great arm down the field. He's not. He's just, he's more of an intermediate dink and dunk type quarterback. That's more what his game is. He's not a guy who's really going to ever amplify a primarily deep threat type of wide receiver like a Denzel Mims. I mean... Look at the last two seasons alone. The combination of Adam Gase and Sam Darnold pretty much destroyed Robbie Anderson's value, no? And the only time Robbie Anderson ever came to life was from week 13 on. That's two seasons in a row. And I don't, I don't want to hear last year, well, Sam Darnold didn't really play until later in the season because of the mono thing. He did the year before. It was the same, it was the same pattern. He went off the same weeks. It wasn't until like week 13 on when the Jets are out of it completely and have nothing to lose. And Fonner was like, well, screw it. Maybe I'll throw it up once in a while now. But when they actually think they're being competitive... They play ultra-conservative. That's why Jameson Crowder is the only Jets wide receiver I'm even going to bother to touch. That's it. I'm not going to bother with anybody else. So Mims... Uh, it, I'm still going to take Mims on his potential in Dynasty Leagues because I'm going to take it on the hope that Adam Gase is fired after this season. And I do think that once Adam Gase is fired, the door will be open to moving on from Sam Darnold as well. So it could possibly be a two-for-one situation. But I do think it might be we might be talking two to three years before Denzel Mims is really able to realize the value that he could possibly be. AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon for the Green Bay Packers. 
So continuing on the narrative of what the hell are you doing, Green Bay, when you're doing absolutely nothing for Aaron Rodgers, and, and that much is obvious. Continuing on that trend, what are you doing with A.J. Dillon? First of all, you have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, both young, both three-down running backs, both guys that have already complimented each other. Both guys have already gotten you in trouble with the fact that Aaron Jones doesn't always get to play as much as he should because you play Jamal Williams a retarded amount, as it is Matt LaFleur. This is why I give Matt LaFleur no credit. This idea that Aaron Rodgers is the problem in that relationship is laughable. Laughable to me. What has Matt LaFleur ever done to earn any respect from anybody about anything? Everyone's a hard back to it. They went 13-3 and last year with pretty much the same team. I would argue that defense was a hell of a lot better than it was ever under Mike McCarthy, and, they took, and their young guys were developing. The offense, BTW, wasn't better than it was under Mike McCarthy. Aaron Jones was better. He scored more touchdowns because he finally started to play a little bit more. Part of that had to do with Jamal Williams getting hurt. He was better, but the offense wasn't better. Matt LaFour was supposed to be an offensive guy the last time I checked. And then there's this word that he wants to become more like Tennessee. Why? You know what Tennessee would love to have right now? They would love to have an Aaron Rodgers. Instead of Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback, that's what they would love to have. The idea, you draft to AG for I don't I don't get it. You draft to AG Dillon for what? For what? Are you are you not going to bring Aaron Jones back when his contract is up? Because AJ Dillon, I'm telling you right now, is never going to be as good as Aaron Jones. And the guy that he's compared to the most, which is Derrick Henry, he's not as big nor is he as fast. So you got a poor man version of Derrick Henry in the second round, a guy who shouldn't have been going up before the fourth round. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On a team that didn't need him at all, in any capacity, already. This made... No sense on so many levels. As far as his value goes, obviously no redraft value. Dynasty-wise, there's a lot of things that would have to happen for A.J. Dillon to become fantasy-relevant even three years down the road from now. So I'm not going to bother with him in Dynasty Leagues either. And I'm going to move on because the whole situation just makes me sick. Zach Moss here, on the other hand, this was a good pick. Now, first and foremost, this proves my point that Devin Singletary was never going to be the guy who was going to get 20 carries and five to seven receptions every single game. He wasn't going to be that kind of featured guy. He wasn't going to be getting 300 touches. So that that's first and foremost. Can Devin Singletary play all three downs? Yes. But he, they, you knew they were going to have some kind of committee to, to some degree. He's somebody, to, to me, Devin Singletary, 16 to 18 touches, which is great because with his ability, with that offense, the way, they, the way they play offense, he's going to be a guy who's going to be an RB2. He's going to get the situation. He's going to get plenty of times where he's going to be able to get worked in on the passing game. He's going to get uh, opportunities in the red zone. 
He's going to be the main guy. I know they drafted. I know they drafted. I know they traded for Stephon Diggs. I know they have some wide receivers now, but Josh Allen is still wildly inaccurate. That hasn't changed. They're still going to have to be at the at worst a balanced team, a 50-50 run the pass ratio, but more likely a still run first team predominantly. So taking Zach Moss here doesn't really hurt Devin Singletary's value in any kind of way. And if anything, it might keep him healthy for longer. Because I don't think Devin Singletary is built to take 250 to 300 touches a season. And in Zach Moss's case, this was somebody who I talked about that I did like a little bit. I don't think he has the ability to be a starter, to be a featured guy. He didn't have that sleeper ability. I ever thought he was going like, to take over a backfield. But I did think he was somebody who was a very valuable backup. A very valuable depth piece. He's a little bit, even though he's 5'9", he's 223, so he's a little bit stockier, he's a little bit bigger, he's pretty good at the goal line situations. He's a 4'6", 5", he's not a burner. But he can play all three downs. He's a pretty good pass catcher out of the backfield. Kind of reminds me, he's not as slow as Jalen Samuels, but he kind of reminds me of Jalen Samuels. He's a much better runner, too, so I don't, maybe not the greatest comparison in the world, but take Jalen Samuels' ability to catch the ball and what he was able to do for Pittsburgh in that capacity, and then add in if he actually had the ability to run between the tackles consistently and is a little bit quicker. That's what Zach Moss kind of is. He can come in, he'll be able to give them anywhere between 8 to 12 touches a game, be pretty productive, keep Devin Singletary fresh, and he's going to be probably the most, one, not the most, but one of the most valuable handcuffs you could possibly have. And if anything happens to Devin Sickletary, then Zach Moss will get to take over for a few weeks. It won't be ever, it won't ever be for long term. So when you're talking dynasty leagues, Zach Moss to me really only has value to me if I already have Devin Singletary as well. Because you're never going to want to start him in flex leagues. Like I said, he's only going to have value if Devin Singletary's hurt. So I would really want him if I had Devin Singletary. Outside of that, I don't know how much I want him. And that, that part, that, you know, that, now that I think about it, dynasty leagues, redraft leagues, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the same line of thinking. Even in, even this season going into the 2020 year, even his rookie year, it's it's very similar line of thinking there as far as what his value is. Next back up on the clock is the Baltimore Ravens. Now with the Ravens here, they take Devin Duvernay. And I was already kind of liking Devin Duvernay for what he is he brings to the table. He's not a big guy. He's 5'10", 200. Kind of another type of wide receiver who's kind of built like a running back. Another type of guy who is pretty good after the catch. Uh, kind of in that mold. But he's fast. 4'3", It shows up on tape. He's fast. He can break them. He can get big plays. You add him to the Baltimore Ravens. You add him to Marquise Brown. So much speed. When you're talking about a physical running team the way they are, the way teams already want to try to stack the box as much as they possibly can because they have no other way to stop Lamar Jackson, to stop the running game of the Baltimore Ravens. And then you have that kind of speed at the wide receiver position where they don't necessarily have to run deep to be deep, but you're going to have play-action bombs where they're going to get wide open because secondaries aren't going to be looking. They're going to be caught looking in the backfield. So you're going to be, you have guys that have the speed to just blow past people. But you're also talking about guys who can catch balls on a slant and go and break big plays and get wide open over the middle as a result too. Now, how much is Devin Duvernay going to play this year? I don't really know the answer to that question. I do think there's a legitimate case to be made that he could be the number three wide receiver this season, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's not quite that. I wouldn't be surprised if he's more of the wide receiver four that they bring in in certain situations. Um, Outside of the potential for DFS leagues, I don't see him really having much value this season because they're still talking about a guy who needs to learn the nuances of route running. There's a reason why he's a little bit lower down. He's not a very polished guy. He's more of an athlete, more of a playmaker, more of a game breaker. And, and like I said, for Greg Roman, 
he doesn't do great with rookies who have who have uh, development in front of them before they can kind of become polished guys. And he doesn't like to do gimmick gimmick packages, gimmick players that much. So that I kind of question how much of an impact he's going to have his rookie season. But dynasty wise, I would like him quite a bit because if if let's say in theory, because the Ravens didn't really draft anybody who's a bigger wide receiver. So let's say in theory, their their plan is that Miles Boykin is going to be that number one wide receiver uh, on the perimeter. Their number one big wide receiver, I should say. And Marquise Brown's really going to be their number one wide receiver, but he's going to be like their Deshaun Jackson type, play inside outside, be more of a stretcher. You add Devin Duvernay to that mix there. He's going to be a game breaker. He's never going to be a guy who's going to be consistent, plug him in your lineup every single week type of guy, but he's going to be that guy you can plug in. If you need to be able to hit a home run, he's going to have that situation for you. So I think this is one of the best spots that you could have wound up in. I think he's going to be a DFS favorite throughout his career. And for dynasty purposes, I like him quite a bit too, because if Marquise Brown does continue to have injury issues, Devin Duvernay will come in and fill his type of role for him when he's out. So I do kind of like that as well. I like him a lot if you're already a Marquise Brown owner. Kind of weird to have a handcuff for a wide receiver, but that is a situation that I find here. Before we get to our last eight players we're going to talk about in this podcast, and don't worry, I am going to pick it up a little bit here because we are we are going a little bit over on time already. Fanatics.com, one of our great sponsors. They're number one online sports retail and memorabilia store in the world. You can always find different sales from them every single week. If you follow me on Twitter at MDSFFshow or you follow me on Facebook at MDFFshow, you can go to one of our social media posts, click on the link, and you can see them today. So moving on, picking it up. Losing track of time as I talk about these guys because always having so much fun. Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman going to the New Orleans Saints. This was a great spot for him. The perfect spot for him, You want, one could frankly argue, right? He goes here. He's going to be able to back up Jared Cook uh, this season. So, yeah, we're not talking about him in a redraft league. No matter where Adam Troutman went, we weren't going to be talking to him in redraft leagues because he has a lot of development he needs to do. He's coming from a small school in Dayton. Uh, he needs to work on his blocking ability. He is more of a, a big, raw type of talent than he is a polished, polished tight end. But he could have gone to a better place than the New Orleans Saints. And even though I don't know if he's ever really going to get a chance to play with Drew Brees, Sean Payton knows how to use the tight ends, especially when he has a decent one. And he's going to have a pretty good one on his hands here with Adam Troutman. So I love his dynasty value quite a bit. If you're in rookie leagues, you're looking for a tight end of the future. Adam Troutman is that guy. He's big. He already knows how to go up and high point the ball. He's one of the best tight ends at the 50-50 high point balls, best at the red zone position. And even though he ran a 4-8, his tape is a lot faster than that. He looks much quicker on the field. He's able to get open in the seam. So I like him quite a bit more uh, than I think a lot of people do. He was talked about quite a bit here, but then he kind of cooled off after they started realizing maybe how long the way he had to go on, on blocking in situations like that. But I do like him quite a bit. Uh, moving through this a little bit faster, and we talk about tight ends. There's not as much to talk about either. And we have another one to talk about, and it's the Browns taking Harrison Bryant. Now, obviously, only dynasty purposes is where his value can be. I like Harrison Bryant a lot. I kind of thought he could be more of an H-back, kind of a, a hybrid, kind of an Aaron Hernandez type of piece is, is more what I see him being. Uh, he's not as 6'5", 243, still has really good size, but he's not as strong as you would typically like your inline tight ends to be if you're going to ask him to block on a consistent basis. And with the Cleveland Browns, he may not have to be. I do truly believe they drafted Harrison Bryant with the idea that they may be moving on from David Njoku after this season. And with the idea of Kevin Stefanski wants to have his Irv Smith type available to him, that's what pretty much what Harrison Bryant would be in that situation. 
I do kind of like it in dynasty purposes. I know Irv Smith didn't have you know huge numbers. Uh, the only other, the only person that we've ever seen be a second tight end and really produce in that way was Aaron Hernandez back in the day. But if you you know anything happens to Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant can come in. He can he's a very good playmaker in that sense. I do like him quite a bit in dynasty leagues, but it might be you might be talking about two years before you can ever really see him get to the point where he might actually have. Uh, some legitimate production. So if you don't mind, if you have a taxi squad and you don't mind the fact that you might be holding on to him for a long while, I he, it's a situation where you could probably utilize him there. Next up, Albert O. Albert O from Missouri. I'm not I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name in case you guys were uh, wondering. That's why I'm always going to call him Albert O. And I thought it was really funny the Denver Broncos took him here because the guy I compared him to was a poor man version of Noah Fant. And as a poor man version of Noah Fant, when I mean he's he's fast, obviously he had the fastest time as a tight end, four four nine here, but he's only fast. He's big, six five two fifty eight, but he can't block. Uh, he can't move his hips at all, at all. I don't know if I've ever seen a more stiff player, frankly. But he can run straight really fast, and he's really big. And I mean that's you know Noah Fant was definitely not as stiff as Albert O is, but as far he's not a, he's not. A, blocker either and it was pretty much no offense claim the fame it, what made him so valuable why the Denver Broncos drafted him so high last season why he got to play so much because he was an athlete who could stretch the field from the seam as a vertical threat as a bigger guy so I do think drafting a tight end who matches what your starter is is, is smart is smart I think more teams need to do it and I always I always harp on this with the quarterback situation where I don't ever understand teams who take uh, a backup who's nothing like their starter because essentially you have to change your entire offense the way it functions if your starter ever gets hurt. And but I think that's the concept that should be applied to all positions. Now, from a fantasy perspective, I I don't know if I really care about Albert O. Even even in dynasty leagues, I don't know if I really care that much about Albert O. Because you're backing up Noah Fant. I mean, Noah Fant would have to have like some kind of career ending injury, I think, for Albert O to ever be in a situation he's actually gonna be a starter for Denver. He's the second round pick, so you're talking about him. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a third-round pick, so you're talking about him at least three years getting away from Denver. I think Albert O is somebody who actually became 100% absolutely useless, only a stream option if Noah Fant were to get hurt here and there. That's it. So from a dynasty perspective, he, ha- he doesn't really have much value to me. I'm not going to be looking at him uh, too much. Now, LaMichael Pirine, I do kind of like him a little bit. I talked about him. He's kind of like a Zach Moss to me where he's a guy who could do a little bit of everything. A 5'11", 216, has a stockier type of build, can run in between the tackles, can catch the ball a little bit. He only has one speed. He doesn't have a second gear when he gets out in the open field. Ran, and that was proven by his 4'6", And that shows up on tape. Uh, a guy who can kind of get low in goal line. I think he's the perfect backup. And I think he's a perfect backup to Le'Veon Bell, which is which is why I thought the Jets taking him here was actually kind of smart. We knew they needed to get some more backup running backs. They let a few guys go. They didn't really have a true number two type of guy. Um, but the, one thing I like to hear about Michael P. Ryan is not only is he really only project out to be a backup to me and a decent backup to Le'Veon Bell, but it also ensures me that I think Le'Veon Bell is going to be in line for 300 touches again this year. And I, that's what I see. I see him getting 300 touches again, and this kind of confirms that where they get more of a guy who could do a little bit of everything and back him up and maybe spell him once in a while, but more of a guy who can come in if Le'Veon were to get hurt. They wouldn't really have to change what they do with the offense too much as far as the running back position is concerned. He's not Le'Veon Bell as far as talent goes. Don't get me twisted when I say that. But as far as the style, as far as having a guy who could play all three downs, catch a little bit, run a little bit, he is that guy. He's a good backup there. 
But so outside of being a handcuff to Le'Veon, though, he has no value whatsoever when it comes to fantasy or, or redraft leagues. I don't think he has the value to ever really take over uh, once Le'Veon moves on from the Jets either. So uh, I'm not going to be worried about him too much there other than if you're a Le'Veon Bell owner. Keep him, him in mind if you want somebody who uh, can be a handcuff for you. Next up, Jacob Easton going to the Colts. So this is really interesting from a dynasty perspective, obviously, because regardless of what you think of Philip Rivers, I think pretty much everybody's in alignment that this might be a one-and-done deal with Philip Rivers here before he retires as well. We might be seeing a lot of guys retire for this season. So we kind of all expect this might be Philip Rivers' last season. He's just trying to get one last hurrah with a good team with the Colts to see how far he can get. And then there's going to be up for grabs again, right? Jacoby Brissett's still on the roster, but obviously between... Drafting Jacob Easton between signing Philip Rivers, obviously the organization's not sold on Jacoby Brissett. I still think it's dumb, but obviously that's what the reality situation is. Now with Jacob Easton, he has a long way to go, uh, without a doubt. He has a lot of developing he has to do. Now Frank Reich, I do think he is a very good offensive mind. I do think he's a very good developer, especially of the quarterback position. He comes from a long line of tree who has success developing quarterbacks. So I think if he was going to go, if there was anywhere he could land where he could just learn how to read defenses, really learn the mental aspect of a quarterback, which is really what he needs to work on, then this would be the place. But I think he's too much Ryan Mallett in him. Even when you hear about the stuff, the stories about him off the field, what his work ethic is, it sounds very, very similar to what I heard about Ryan Mallett. Which, and look, you have a cannon of an arm. You have the prototypical size, 6'6", 231. You look the part. You have that, like I say, you have that cannon. You can go deep whenever you want. But from a mental aspect, you have a long way to go to read defenses. And you also have a long way to go as far as your accuracy and your fundamentals go. And that's what he's going to have to work on. Now he's going to get a chance to sit. He's going to have every opportunity in the world for that to happen. I think at the end of the day, he'll have some good weapons for the Colts. But, (coughs) excuse me, I don't think Jacob Easton is going to last very long. I think he's a developmental project who may never develop. But he has some value because he is in the right situation in Dynasty Leagues. If you want to take that chance, I want to take that opportunity. Next, I want to talk about as soon as I, assuming I can get the uh, frog out of my throat here, is Anthony McFarlane. Now, the only reason I want to talk about Anthony McFarlane because I talked about it even before the draft, I don't think he has any value fantasy wise because I don't think he's ever going to be in a position he's going to have a significant role at the running back position because other than being a playmaker uh, or uh, other than being a guy who's fast in space, I should say. Because he doesn't make a lot of guys miss. He doesn't break a lot of tackles. So I don't think this is going to be a guy who's ever going to be a true third down back threat, a true change of pace threat. I think he's a returner and nothing more. I think he's a special teams guy. That's all you're talking about with him. When you, when you watch the tape, I don't see anything impressive as far as actually being a running back goes. Now, the reason I, do, I was excited to talk about him, though, is because the narrative that came out after he was drafted, the idea that this was the running back, this was the draft pick that signified that the James Conner era in Pittsburgh was over. And I think that's laughable, ridiculous. And if you think that, you are not paying attention and you have zero respect for how good James Conner is. I don't care if you want to make the argument that James Conner's injury prone. First of all, James Conner's not any more injury prone than Dalvin Cook. And everyone loves Dalvin Cook after last season. Everyone's, oh, he's over the hump now. He played, 14, he played 13, 14 games. Yeah, totally over the hump. To- totally an RB1. Totally no problem taking him top five. James Conner was pretty healthy two seasons ago. That's why he was going in the first round last year. He had a pretty, he had a year last year where he was a bit banged up. There was some confusion with the Steelers. You know, did they want to actually mix it up, use other running backs a little bit more? But I think that was more of a product 
of the fact that you didn't have Ben Roethlisberger and they were just trying to make things happen on offense and Connor was getting banged up here and there, then it had to do with them actually thinking that James Connor couldn't be their lead dog anymore or that they had to have this three-man running back by committee horse race. I disagree with it completely. And whether you do or not, I don't really care. My point to you is that at the end of the day, I'm going to be proven right because James Conner is by far, head and shoulders, the most talented running back in that room. Period. I don't think there's an... You can't make an argument otherwise. When he's healthy and on the field, he's productive. He's better than Jalen Samuels, than Terrell Edmonds, than Benny Snell, than, and then now with Anthony McFarlane. It's not, it's not a competition. It's not a question mark. It's not an argument to be made. Nothing there. The only argument you can make to me about James Conner's value in a negative way is his injury history. But when he's on the field, whether it's catching the ball, whether it's running the football, he is productive. Period. Period. And to me, this signified to me that James Conner is going to get another season, is going to get another opportunity to prove that he could be, well, at least continue to be the lead dog of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, if he gets banged up a lot, that's going to be a risk, right? So that's why I don't have Conner going in the first round, obviously. Uh, and and really, ideally, wouldn't have him going any higher than the late second round because he's going to have some risk with injuries and it's going to be a concern. But if he's healthy and on the field, he's going to be able to give you RB1 level production. And this is not the pick where I think he loses these touches where all of a sudden this situation becomes toxic for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think, if anything, this is more of a shot at Jalen Samuels because... The one thing that was clear was that while they trusted Jalen Samuels catching the football and being able to protect the quarterback, they kind of got sick and tired of the fact of how slow he is and didn't have any any threat of an actual game breaker, right? Between him and Betty Snell and Terrell Evans, none of those are fast guys. They're all more bruiser type guys. They're all bigger type of backs. So I think Anthony McFarlane, if anything, is trying to address that issue, but this is not a threat to James Conner. Next guy, I want to talk about Donovan Peoples-Jones taken in the sixth round by the Cleveland Browns. And they just signed Rashard Higgins, right? So obviously the value that Peoples-Jones, people maybe thought he could possibly have for redraft leagues uh, goes out the window. That, but I didn't think that was going to be the case anyway. The, the Browns are going to be a predominantly two-receiver, two-tight end type of team this year, I think, under Kevin Stefanski and what they're, what they're going to do. So I didn't think he was going to really have a big impact anyway. But you're talking about another guy, kind of like a Clay's Chapel, but in a more developmental way, has all the physical talent in the world, was highly recruited, just never developed his route running ability. When you're talking about a guy who never developed his route running ability in college, I don't know if he's suddenly going to do it in the NFL. But if you're talking about a guy that you just want to throw in your taxi squad because he has the actual athletic potential, maybe he is able to put it together in the NFL at some point. I don't mind that. I don't mind him as a stash in dynasty leagues. I think it's going to be at least two years before you even see him have an opportunity to possibly get on the field and make any kind of impact in any way. If he's ever even able to get to that point, I think it's questionable. But when you have guys who are this physically gifted, I like taking shots on them. And to wrap it up here with the Arizona Cardinals taking Eno Benjamin. Now, this is a guy I was surprised. I wasn't a big fan of Eno Benjamin, but at the same time, I was surprised that he didn't go until the seventh round. I, I didn't expect that. Uh, because of his ability to catch the ball, because of how much of a premium team seem to put on running backs who can catch the football, I really did think he was going to go a little bit earlier in the fourth round and be in a committee somewhere. And this also is not a great spot for him to land if you're talking about from a, a, a fantasy value standpoint. Obviously, redraft now. Uh, dynasty value, 
You have Chase Edmonds, the backup Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake, who you just signed, Kenyon Drake, who I do think the plan is to have him for more than just this season. We still have to wait for a contract extension on that on that half of it. But even after you get after Kenyon Drake, it's still Chase Edmonds. He's still a pretty good three down back. You know, Benjamin didn't wind up in a situation where it was a Derrick Henry type, a power back, where there was an obvious need to have a passing down back for certain situations. He didn't wind up in that situation. He wound up in a situation where you have nothing but running backs in front of you who can play all three downs at a pretty high level. So I don't know if I'm going to bother the Edo and Benjamin, even in dynasty leagues. If you want, to, if you have a deep roster, I know some dynasty leagues are crazy, as some of the ones I'm in are, are crazy deep. If you have a deep roster and you have the ability just to stash them, yeah, okay, because I think he might be off the Cardinals after a season. Maybe he winds up in a different situation. Maybe it's a Deion Lewis situation. You never know. Uh, but I do think he's somebody's going to bounce around the NFL for a while because of his pass catching ability. So that's where I don't totally dismiss the idea of stashing him at some point. But Really, this was one of the worst spots he could have wound up in for his fantasy value. That wraps up the show. I promise you this is the last show that's going to go an hour and a half. We are going to be sticking to an hour after this. This was All the draft ones had to go an hour and a half, though. It was just so much content that you had to kind of be able to touch on. So after this, we'll be back to being an hour show only, I promise. And you can always find us on every one of your favorite podcast apps, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you go, we are available to you. And the biggest thing is that we are, again, we are streaming all four different places for you live at the same time. So you could always catch us everywhere. You can always catch the replays there. Periscope on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook Live there at the MD's Fantasy Football Show Facebook page. Make sure you follow and like that. You can always watch us there. YouTube, we got that up and going live. And of course, we are on sportscaster.com where you can find us at MDFF Belly Up USN. Always available to you there too. Keep it coming. We're going to be back next week is the Coaching Changes Fantasy Impact. That's going to be a two-parter. So next week and the week after, I'm going to see about us getting a guest on for next week's show for the next couple of weeks. And then after that, we're going to do the team profiles, which we might have a lot of exciting guests for you. We'll get back to you on that uh, soon to be. Make sure you're checking out the Belly Up Fantasy site, bellyupfantasysports.com for all your articles. And of course, you can find all the information about this show. That's where we are now for the most part. You can find our video episodes, rankings, breakdowns, and every article for every fantasy sport that you could possibly need. We will see you guys really, really really soon. Everybody continue to stay healthy, continue to stay safe, and everyone have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.